0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the last day of 2022. Uh, Today, we are going to be starting the first book in the Legacy series. I'm looking forward to this one. Um, And at the rate that I'm going reading through these books, we will probably finish two books by the end of 2023. That's pretty exciting. Before we get started this week, though, I thought you guys would all enjoy a bit of the background of Drizzt out of the words of R.A. Salvatore himself, the actual Drizzt conception story. So, straight from Bob's mouth, here is what he writes. People ask me all the time where Drizzt came from. Was he a character in a D&D campaign I played? Is he someone I know? Well, the answer is surprising, and I think kind of funny. I look back on it now and wonder how it ever got to this point. Why my car has D-R-K-E-L-F for a license plate, and why people keep asking me, who is Dr. Kelf? When Mary Kirchhoff told me I'd be writing the second Forgotten Realms novel, she reminded me that now that we had set the book thousands of miles from Doug's stomping ground, I needed a new sidekick for Wolfgar. I assured her that I'd, I'd get right on it and come up with something the following week. No, Bob, she responded, words I seem to hear far too often from editors. You don't understand. I'm going into a meeting right now to sell this proposal. I need a sidekick. Now? I, in my never-before-in-the-world-of-publishing-naivete, stupidity, responded. Right now, she responded, rather smugly. And then it happened. I don't know how. I don't know why. I merely said, a drow. There came a pause, followed by, in a slightly hesitant tone, a dark elf? Yeah. I said, growing more confident as the character began to take more definite shape in my mind, a drow ranger. The pause was longer this time. Then, in barely a whisper, the tremors of having to go and tell this one to the muckety mucks evident in her tone. What's his name? Uh, Driz Duarden of Derriman Vernon, ninth house of Menzabaranzen. Can you spell that? <laughs> Not a chance. A drow ranger. Yep. Drizzt? she asked. Drizd, I corrected, for the first of 7.3 million times. Okay. The beleaguered editor agreed, probably thinking she would just change my mind later on. But she didn't, of course. And in truth, and this is a testament to Mary Kirchhoff, she let the creative person she hired do the creative thing and waited to see the results before taking out the hatchet, which never came out. Thus, Drizzt was born. Did I ever run him in a game? Nope. Is there anyone I based him on? Nope. He just happened, unexpectedly and with very little forethought. He was only supposed to be a sidekick character, after all. A curiosity piece with a slightly different twist. You know, like Robin to Batman or Cato to the Green Hornet. Of course, it didn't work out that way. The first chapter I wrote of The Crystal Shard had Drizzt running across the tundra and getting ambushed by a yeti. By page three... I knew. Drizzt was the star of it all. Pretty cool. And if you guys are like me, and I think pretty much all you are, uh, I love that. It's just really, really amazing the way all things kind of worked out and lined up and all the planets aligned. Oh, and one last thing. The wife surprised me this year with a tablet for Christmas. So, no more holding the actual books in my hands. Now, everything is digital. I know some of you are really big fans of hearing the pages turn on the books, but technology has taken over, and now I won't be accidentally bumping the book into the microphone, which I had to keep going back and editing all that stuff out. So it's an improvement. And now, without further delay, book seven in the Legend of Drist series The Legacy. prelude. The rogue Dinan made his way carefully through the dark avenues of Menzoberranzan, the city of Drow. A renegade with no family to call his own for nearly twenty years, the seasoned fighter knew well the perils of the city and knew how to avoid them. He passed an abandoned compound along the two-mile-long cavern's western wall and could not help but pause and stare. Twin stalagmite mounds supported a blasted fence around the whole of the place, and two sets of broken doors, one on the ground and one beyond a balcony twenty feet up the wall, hung open awkwardly on twisted and scorched hinges. How many times had Dinan levitated up to that balcony, entering the private quarters of the nobles of his house, House Duarden? House Duarden. It was forbidden even to speak the name in the drow city. Once Dinan's family had been the eighth ranked among the sixty or so drow families in Menza His mother had sat on the ruling council, and he, Dinan, had been a master at melee match there, the school of fighters, at the famed Drow Academy. Standing before the compound, it seemed to Dinan as if the place were a thousand years removed from that time of glory. His family was no more. His house lay in ruins, and Dinan had been forced to take up with Bregan the Arth, an infamous mercenary band, simply to survive. Once... The rogue drow mouthed quietly. He shook his slender fingers and pulled his concealing pivoofly cloak around him, remembering how vulnerable a houseless drow could be. A quick glance toward the center of the cavern, toward the pillar that was Narbandl, showed him that the hour was late. At the break of each day, the archmage of Menzoberranzan went out to Narbondel and infused the pillar with a magical, lingering heat that would work its way up, then back down. To the sensitive drow eyes, which could look into the infrared spectrum, the level of heat in the pillar acted as a gigantic, glowing clock. Now, Narbondal was almost cool. Another day neared its end. Dinan had to go more than halfway across the city to a secret cave within the Claw Rift, a great chasm running out from Manzabaranzen's northwest wall. There, Jarlaxal, the leader of and Dearth, waited in one of his many hideouts. The Drow fighter cut across the center of the city, passed right by Narbondel, and beside more than a hundred hollowed stalagmites compromising a dozen separate family compounds, their fabulous sculptures and gargoyles glowing in multicolored fairy fire. Drow soldiers, walking posts along house walls or along the bridges connecting multitudes of leering stalactites, paused and regarded the lone stranger carefully. Hand crossbows or poison javelins held ready until Dinan was far beyond them. That was the way in Mensa Always alert. Always distrustful. Dinan gave one careful look around when he reached the edge of the claw rift, then slipped over the side and used his innate powers of levitation to slowly descend into the chasm. More than a hundred feet down, he again looked into the bolts of readied hand crossbows, but these were withdrawn as soon as the mercenary guardsmen recognized Dinan as one of their own. "'Tarlaxel has been waiting for you,' one of the guards signaled in the intricate, silent hand code of the Dark Elves. Dinan didn't bother to respond. He owed commoner soldiers no explanations. He pushed past the guardsmen rudely, making his way down a short tunnel, then soon branched into a virtual maze of corridors and rooms. Several turns later, the Dark elf stopped before a shimmering door." thin and almost translucent. He put his hand against its surface, letting his body-heat make an impression that heat-sensing eyes on the other side would understand as a knock. "'At last,' he heard a moment later in Jarlaxel's voice, "'Do come in, Dinan, my Calabill. You have kept me waiting for far too long.' Dinan paused a moment to get a bearing on the unpredictable mercenary's inflections and words. Jarlaxel had called him— Kalabil, my trusted friend, his nickname for Dinan since the raid that had destroyed House Duarden, a raid in which Darlaxel had played a prominent role, and there was no obvious sarcasm in the mercenary's tone. There seemed to be nothing wrong at all. But why, then, had Jarlaxle recalled him from his critical scouting mission of House Vendrye, the 17th house of Menzoberranzan? Dinan wondered. It had taken Dinan nearly a year to gain the trust of the imperiled Vendree house guard, a position, no doubt, that would be severely jeopardized by his unexplained absence from the house compound. There was only one way to find out, the rogue soldier decided. He held his breath and forced his way into the opaque barrier. It seemed as if he were passing through a wall of thick water, though he did not get wet and after several long steps across the flowing extraplanar border of two planes of existence, he forced his way through the seemingly inch-thick magical door and entered Jarlaxle's small room. The room was alight in a comfortable red glow, allowing Dinan to shift his eyes from the infrared to the normal spectrum of light. He blinked as the transformation completed, then blinked again, as always, when he looked at Jarlaxle. The mercenary leader sat behind a stone desk in an exotic cushioned chair, supported by a single stem with a swivel so that it could rock back at a considerable angle. Comfortably perched, as always, Jarlaxle had a chair leaning way back, his slender hands clasped behind his clean-shaven head, so unusual for a drow. Just for amusement, it seemed, Jarlaxle lifted one foot onto the table, his high black boot hitting the stone with a resounding thump, then... Lifted the other, striking the stone just as hard, but this boot making not a whisper. The mercenary wore his ruby red eye patch over his right eye this day, Dinan noted. To the side of the desk stood a trembling little humanoid creature, barely half Dinan's five and a half foot height, including the small white horns protruding from the top of its sloping brow. One of House Obladra's kobolds, Trollaxel explained casually. "'It seems the pitiful little thing found its way in, "'but cannot so easily find its way back out.' "'The reasoning seemed sound to Dinan. "'House Obladra, the third house of Menzelboronson, "'occupied a tight compound at the end of the claw rift "'and was rumored to keep thousands of kobolds for torturous pleasure "'or to serve as house fodder in the event of war. "'Do you wish to leave?' "'Tralaxel asked the creature in guttural simplistic language.' The kobold nodded eagerly. Stupidly. Jarlaxle indicated the opaque door, and the creature darted for it. It had not the strength to penetrate the barrier, though, and it bounced back, nearly landing at Dinan's feet. Before it even bothered to get up, the kobold foolishly sneered in contempt at the mercenary leader. Jarlaxle's hand flicked several times, too quickly for Dinan to count. The drow fighter reflexively tensed, but knew better than to move, knew that Jarlaxle's aim was always perfect. When he looked down at the kobold, he saw five daggers sticking from its lifeless body, a perfect star formation on the scaly creature's little chest. Darlaxel only shrugged at Dinan's confused stare. I could not allow the beast to return to Obladra, he reasoned, not after it learned of our compound so near theirs. Dinan shared Darlaxel's laugh. He started to retrieve the daggers, but Darlaxel reminded him that there was no need. "'They will return of their own accord,' the mercenary explained, "'pulling at the edge of his bloused sleeve "'to reveal the magical sheath enveloping his wrist. "'Do sit,' he bade his friend, "'indicating an unremarkable stool at the side of the desk. "'We have much to discuss.' "'Why do you recall me?' Dinan asked bluntly, as he took his place beside the desk. "'I had infiltrated Vandree fully.' "'Ah, my Calabill,' Jarlaxel replied. "'Always to the point. "'That is a quality I do so admire in you, Ulinhire," Dinan retorted, the drow word for liar. Again the companions shared a laugh, but Jarlaxel's didn't last long, and he dropped his feet and rocked forward, clasping his hands, ornamented by a king's hoard of jewels, and how many of those glittering items were magical.' Dinan often wondered, on the stone table before him, his face suddenly grave. "'The attack on Vandree is about to commence?' Dinan asked, thinking he had solved the riddle. "'Forget Vandree," Dralaxa replied. "'Their affairs are not so important to us now.' Dinan dropped his sharp chin into a slender palm propped on the table. "'Not important,' he thought. He wanted to spring up and throttle the cryptic leader.' He had spent a whole year. Dinan let his thoughts on Vandry trail away. He looked hard at Jarlaxel's always calm face, searching for clues. Then he understood. My sister, he said, and Jarlaxel was nodding before the word had left Dinan's mouth. What has she done? Jarlaxel straightened, looking to the side of the small room, and gave a sharp whistle on cue a slab of stone shifted revealing an alcove and Verna Duarden Dinan's lone surviving sibling swept into the room she seemed more splendid and beautiful than Dinan remembered her since the downfall of their house Dinan's eyes widened as he realized the truth of Verna's dressings Verna wore her robes the robes of a high priestess of Loth the robes emblazoned with the arachnid and weapon design of House Duarden! Dinn didn't know that Verna had kept them, had not seen them in more than a decade. You risk! He started to warn. But Verna's frenzied expression, her red eyes blazing like twin fires behind the shadows of her high, ebony cheekbones, stopped him before he could utter the words, I have found again the favor of Loth, Verna announced. Dinnin looked to Jarlaxle, who only shrugged and quietly shifted his eye patch to his left eye instead. The Spider Queen has shown me the way, Verna went on, her normally melodic voice cracking with undeniable excitement. Dinan thought the female on the verge of insanity. Verna had always been calm and tolerant, even after House sudden demise. Over the last few years, though, her actions had become increasingly erratic and she had spent many hours alone in desperate prayer to their unmerciful deity. Are you to tell us this way that Loth has shown to you? Jarlaxel, appearing not at all impressed, asked after many moments of silence. Drizd Verna spat the word. The name of the sacrilegious brother, with a burst of venom through her delicate lips. Dinan wisely shifted his hand from his chin to cover his mouth to bite back his retort. Verna, for all her apparent foolhardiness, was, after all, a high priestess and not one to anger. Drizzt? Darlaxel calmly asked her. Your brother? No brother of mine! Verna cried out, rushing to the desk as though she meant to strike Jarlaxel down. Dinan didn't miss the mercenary leader's subtle movement, a shift that put his dagger-launching arm in a ready position. Traitor to Hustuardin! Verna fumed. Traitor to all the drow! Her scowl became a smile suddenly, evil and conniving. With dris sacrifice, I will again find lost favor. will again... Verna broke off abruptly, obviously desiring to keep the rest of her plans private. You sound like Matron Malice, Dinan dared to say. She, too, began a hunt for our br... For the traitor... You remember Matron Malice, Jarlaxle teased, using the implications of the name as a sedative on overexcited Verna. Malice, Verna's mother and matron of House Duarten, had ultimately been undone by her failure to recapture and kill the traitorous Drizzt. Verna did calm down. Then she began a fit of mocking laughter that went on for many minutes. You see why I summoned you. Charlaxle remarked to Dinan, taking no heed of the priestess. You wish me to kill her before she can become a problem? Dinan replied equally casually. Verna's laughter halted. Her wild-eyed gaze fell over her impertinent brother. "Wishya!" she cried, and a wave of magical energy hurled Dinan from his seat, sent him crashing into the stone wall. Kneel! Verna commanded and Dinan, when he regained his composure, fell to his knees, all the while looking blankly at Jarlaxel. The mercenary, too, could not hide his surprise. This last command was a simple spell, certainly not one that should have worked so easily on a seasoned fighter of Dinan's stature. I am in Loth's favor, Werner, standing tall and straight, explained to both of them. If you oppose me, then you are not, and with the power of Loth's blessings for my spells and curses against you, you will find no defense. The last we heard of Drizd placed him on the surface, Jarlaxel said to Verna to deflect her rising anger. By all reports, he remains there still. Verna nodded, grinning weirdly all the while, her pearly white teeth contrasting dramatically with her shining ebony skin. He does, she agreed. But Loth has shown me the way to him, the way to glory. Again, Jarlaxel and Dinan exchanged confused glances. By all their estimates, Verna's claims, and Verna herself, sounded insane. But Dinan, against his will and against all measure of sanity, was still kneeling. Part 1. The Inspiring Fear Nearly three decades have passed since I left my homeland, a small measure of time by the reckoning of a drow elf, but a period that seems a lifetime to me. All that I desired, or believed that I desired when I walked out of mentor dark cavern, was a true home, a place of friendship and peace, where I might hang my scimitars above the mantle of a warm hearth and share stories with trusted companions. I've found all that now, "'beside Brunner in the hallowed halls of his youth. "'We prosper. We have peace. "'I wear my weapons only on my five-day journeys "'between Mithril Hall and Silvery Moon. "'Was I wrong? "'I do not doubt, nor do I ever lament, "'my decision to leave the vile world of Mensal "'but I am beginning to believe now "'in the endless quiet and peace "'that my desires at that critical time "'were founded in the inevitable longing of inexperience.' I'd never known the calm existence I so badly wanted. I cannot deny that my life is better, a thousand times better than anything I've ever known in the underdock. And yet, I cannot remember the last time I felt the anxiety, the inspiring fear of impending battle, the tingling that can only come when an enemy is near or a challenge must be met. Oh, I do remember the specific instance— just a year ago, when Wolfgar, Gwenheimer and I worked the lower tunnels in the cleansing of Mithril Hall. But that feeling, that tingle of fear, has long since faded from memory. Are we, then, creatures of action? Do we say that we desire those accepted clichés of comfort when, in fact, it is the challenge of that adventure that truly gives us life? I must admit, to myself at least, that I do not know. There is one point that I cannot dispute, though, one truth that will inevitably help me resolve these questions and which places me in the fortunate position. For now, beside Brunner and his kin, beside Wolfgar and Caterbury and Gwenhyver, dear Gwenhyver, my destiny is my own to choose. I am safer now than ever before in my sixty years of life. The prospects have never looked better for the future, for continued peace and continued security. And yet, I feel mortal. For the first time, I look to what has passed rather than what is still to come. There is no other way to explain it. I feel that I am dying, that those stories I so desire to share with friends will soon grow stale, with nothing to replace them. But I remind myself again, the choice is mine to make. Drizzt Duarden Chapter 1. Spring Dawning Drizztu Arden walked slowly along a trail in the jutting southernmost spur of the Spine of the World Mountains, the sky brightening around him. Far away to the south, across the plain to the Evermores, he noticed the glow of the last lights of some distant city—Nesmi, probably, going down, replaced by the growing dawn. When Drizzt turned another bend in the mountain trail, he saw the small town of Settlestone far below—the barbarians, Wolfgar's kin, from faraway Icewind Dale, were just beginning their morning routines, trying to put their ruins back in order. Drizzt watched the figures, tiny from this distance, bustle about, and he remembered a time not so long ago when Wolfgar and his proud people roamed the frozen tundra of a land far to the north and west, on the other side of the great mountain range a thousand miles away. Spring, the trading season, was fast approaching and the hardy men and women of Settlestone, working as dealers for the dwarves of Mithril Hall, would soon know more wealth and comfort than they ever would have believed possible in their previous day-by-day existence. They had come to Wolfgar's call, fought valiantly beside the dwarves in the ancient halls, and would soon reap the rewards of their labor, leaving behind their desperate nomadic ways as they left behind the endless, merciless wind of Icewind Dale. How far we all have come! Drizzt remarked to the chill emptiness of the morning air, and he chuckled at the double meaning of his words, considering that he had just returned from Silvery Moon, a magnificent city far to the east, a place where the beleaguered drow ranger never before dared to believe that he would find acceptance. Indeed, when he had accompanied Bruner and the others in their search for Mithril Hall barely two years before, Drizzt had been turned away from Silvery Moon's decorated gates." You've done a hundred miles in a 10 day alone, came an unexpected answer. Drizzt instinctively dropped his slender black hands to the hilts of his scimitars, but his mind caught up to his reflexes and he relaxed immediately, recognizing the melodic voice with more than a little of a dwarvish accent. A moment later, Caterbury, the adopted human daughter of Bruner Battlehammer, came skipping around a rocky outcropping, her thick auburn mane dancing in the mountain wind and her deep blue eyes glittering like wet jewels in the fresh morning light. Driz couldn't hide his smile at the joyous spring in the young girl's steps, a vitality that the often vicious battle she had faced over the last few years could not diminish. Nor could Driz deny the wave of warmth that rushed over him whenever he saw Caterbury, the young woman who knew him better than any. Caterbury had understood Drizzt and accepted him for his heart, and not the color of his skin, since their first meeting in a rocky, windswept vale more than a decade before, when she was but half her present age. The Dark Elf waited a moment longer, expecting to see Wolfgar, soon to be Caterbury's husband, follow her around the bluff. You have come out a fair distance without an escort, Driz remarked when the barbarian did not appear. Caterbury crossed her arms over her chest and leaned on one foot, tapping impatiently with the other and you're beginning to sound more like me father than me friend, she replied. I see no escort walk in the trails beside Drizzt Arden. Well spoken, the drow ranger admitted, his tone respectful and not the least bit sarcastic. The young woman's scolding had pointedly reminded Drizzt that Caterbury could take care of herself. She carried with her a short bow of dwarven make and wore fine armor under her furred cloak, as fine as the suit of chainmail that Bruner had given to Drizzt, Tolmeril, the heat-seeker, the magical Ariel, rested easily over Caterbury's shoulder. Drizzt had never seen a mightier weapon, and even beyond the powerful tools she carried, Caterbury had been raised among the sturdy dwarves by Bruner himself, as tough as the mountain stone. Is it often that you watch the rising sun? Caterbury asked, noticing Drizzt's east-facing stance. Drizzt found a flat rock to sit upon and bade Caterbury to join him. I've watched the dawn since my first days on the surface, he explained, throwing his thick forest green cloak back over his shoulders. Though back then it surely stung my eyes. A reminder of where I came from, I suppose. Now, though, to my relief, I find that I can tolerate the brightness. And well that is, Cadbury replied. She locked the drow's marvelous eyes with her intense gaze, Forced him to look at her, at the same innocent smile he had seen those many years before on a windswept slope in Icewind Dale. The smile of his first female friend. "'Tis sure that you belong under the sunlight, Drizzt Arden, catterby continued. "'As much as any person, though, of any race, by my own measure.' Drizzt looked back to the dawn and did not answer. Caterbury went silent, too, and they sat together for a long while watching the awakening world." "'I came out to see you,' Caterbury said suddenly. Driz regarded her curiously, not understanding. "'Now, I mean,' the young woman explained, "'we'd word that you'd return to Settlestone, "'and that you'd be coming back to Mithril Hall in a few days. "'I've been out here every day since.' Driz's expression did not change. "'You wish to talk with me privately?' he asked, to prompt a reply. Caterbury's deliberate nod as she turned back to the eastern horizon revealed to Driz that something was wrong." I'll not forgive you if you miss the wedding, Caterbury said softly. She bit down on her bottom lip as she finished, Driz noted, and sniffed, though she tried hard to make it seem like the beginnings of a cold. Driz draped an arm across the beautiful one's strong shoulders. Can you believe for an instant, even if all the trolls of the Evermore stood between me and the ceremony hall, that I would not attend? Caterbury turned to him, fell into his gaze, and smiled widely, knowing the answer. She threw her arms around Drizzt for a tight hug, then leaped to her feet, pulling him up beside her. Drizzt tried to equal her relief, or at least to make her believe that he had. catterbury had known all along that he would not miss her wedding to Wolfgar, two of his dearest friends. Why, then, the tears, the sniffle that was not from any budding cold? The perceptive ranger wondered. Why had Caterbury felt the need to come out and find him only a few hours from the entrance to Mithril Hall? He didn't ask her about it, but it bothered him more than a little. Any time moisture gathered in Caterbury's deep blue eyes, it bothered Drizztu Arden more than a little. Jarlaxel's black boots clacked loudly on the stone as he made his solitary way along a winding tunnel outside of Menzabranzan. Most Drow out alone from the great city in the wilds of the Underdark would have taken great care, but the mercenary knew what to expect in the tunnels, knew every creature in this particular section. Information was Jarlaxel's forte. The scouting network of Breaking the Arth, the band Jarlaxel had founded and taken to greatness, was more intricate than that of any Drow house. Jarlaxel knew everything that happened, or would soon happen, in and around the city, and armed with that information, he had survived for centuries as a houseless rogue. So long had Darlaxel been a part of Menzoboranzin's intrigue that none in the city, with the possible exception of first matron mother Ben Ray, even knew the sly mercenary's origins. He was wearing his shimmering cape now, its magical colors cascading up and down his graceful form, and his wide-brimmed hat, hugely plumed with the feathers of a diatrima, a great flightless underdark bird adorned his clean-shaven head. A slender sword dancing beside one hip and a long dirk on the other were his only visible weapons, but those who knew the sly mercenary realized that he possessed many more than that, concealed on his person, but easily retrieved if the need arose. Pulled by curiosity, Jarlaxel picked up his pace. As soon as he realized the length of his strides, he forced himself to slow down, reminding himself that he wanted to be fashionably late for this unorthodox meeting that Crazy Verna had arranged. Crazy Verna. Jarlaxo considered the thought for a long while, even stopped his walk and leaned against the tunnel wall to recount the high priestess's many claims over the last few ten days. What had seemed initially to be a desperate, fleeting hope of a broken noble with no chance at all of success, was fast becoming a solid plan. Charlaxel had gone along with Verna more out of amusement and curiosity than any real beliefs that they would kill, or even locate, the long-gone Drizzt. But something apparently was guiding Verna. Charlaxel had to believe it was Loth, or one of the Spider Queen's powerful minions. Verna's clerical powers had returned in full, it seemed— and she had delivered much valuable information, and even a perfect spy, to their cause. They were fairly sure now where Drizztuarden was, and Dralaxel was beginning to believe that killing the traitorous Drow would not be such a difficult thing. The mercenary's boots heralded his approach as he clicked around a final bend in the tunnel, coming into a wide, low-roofed chamber. Verna was there, with Dinan, and it struck Dralaxel as curious another note made in the calculating mercenary's mind, that Verna seemed more comfortable out here in the wilds than did her brother. Dinan had spent many years in these tunnels, leading patrol groups, but Verna, as a sheltered noble priestess, had rarely been out of the city. If she truly believed that she walked with Loth's blessings, however, then the priestess would have nothing to fear. You have delivered our gift to the human? Verna asked immediately, urgently. Everything in Verna's life, it seemed to Jarlaxle, had become urgent. The sudden question, not prefaced by any greeting or even a remark that he was late, caught the mercenary off guard for a moment, and he looked to Dinan, who responded with only a helpless shrug. While hungry fires burned in Verna's eyes, defeated resignation lay in Dinan's. "'The human has the earring,' Jarlaxle replied. Verna held out a, a flat, disc-shaped object, covered in designs to match the precious earring. It is cool, she explained as she rubbed her hand across the disc's metallic surface. Thus, our spy has already moved far from Menzo Baransin. Far away with a valuable gift, Jaloxa remarked, traces of sarcasm edging his voice. It was necessary and will further our cause, Verna snapped at him. If the human proves to be as valuable informant as you believe, charlaxel added evenly, do you doubt him? Werner's words echoed through the tunnels, causing Din in further distress and sounding clearly as a threat to the mercenary. It was Loth who guided me to him. Werner continued with an open sneer, Loth who showed me the way to regain my family's honor. Do you doubt? "'I doubt nothing what our deity is concerned,' Charlaxel promptly interrupted. "'The earring, your beacon, has been delivered as you instructed, and the human is well on his way.' The mercenary swept into a respectful low bow, tipping his wide-brimmed hat. Verna calmed and seemed appeased. Her red eyes flashed eagerly, and a devious smile widened across her face. "'And the goblins?' she asked, her voice thick with anticipation. "'They will soon make contact with the greedy dwarves,' Jalaxa replied. "'To their dismay, no doubt. My scouts are in place around the goblin ranks. If your brother makes an appearance in the inevitable battle, we will know.' The mercenary hid his conniving smile at the sight of Verna's obvious pleasure." The priestess thought to gain only the confirmation of her brother's whereabouts from the unfortunate goblin tribe, but Jarlaxle had much more in mind. Goblins and dwarves shared a mutual hatred as intense as that between the drow and their surface-elf cousins, and any meeting between the groups would ensure a fight. What better opportunity for Jarlaxle to take an accurate measure of the dwarven defenses, and the dwarven weaknesses? For while Varin's desire was focused... All that she wanted was the death of her traitorous brother. Jarlaxel was looking for a wider picture of how this costly exploration up near the surface, perhaps even onto the surface, might become more profitable. Verna rubbed her hands together and turned sharply to face her brother. Jarlaxel nearly laughed aloud at Dinan's feeble attempt to imitate his sister's beaming expression. Verna was too obsessed to notice her less-than-enthusiastic brother's obvious slip. "'The goblin father understand their options?' she asked the mercenary, but she answered her own question before Jarlaxle could reply. "'Of course. They have no options.' Jarlaxle felt the sudden need to burst her eager bubble. "'What if the goblins killed Drizzt?' he asked, sounding innocent. Verna's face screwed up weirdly, and she stammered unsuccessfully at her first attempts at a reply. "'No,' she decided at length. We know that more than a thousand dwarves inhabit the complex, perhaps two or three times the number. The goblin tribe will be crushed. But the dwarves and their allies will suffer some casualties, Jarlaxel reasoned. Not Drizd. Dinan unexpectedly answered, and there was no compromise in his grim tone and no argument forthcoming from either of his companions. No goblin will kill Drizd. No goblin weapon could get near his body. Verna's approving smile showed that she did not understand the sincere terror behind Dinan's claims. Dinan alone among the group had faced off in battle against Drizzt. "'The tunnels back to the city are clear?' Verna asked Arlaxil, and on his nod she swiftly departed, having no more time for banter. "'You wish this to end?' the mercenary remarked to Dinan when they were alone. "'You have not met my brother.' Dinan replied evenly, and his hand instinctively twitched near the hilt of his magnificent drow-made sword, as though the mere mention of Drizzt put him on the defensive. Not in combat, at least. Fear? Calabil? The question went straight to Dinan's sense of honor, sounded more like a taunt. Still, the fighter made no attempt to deny it. You should fear your sister as well, Trollaxel reasoned, and he meant every word. Dinan donned a disgusted expression. The Spider Queen, or one of Loth's minions, has been talking with that one, Jarlaxle added, as much to himself as to his shaken companion. At first glance, Verna's possession seemed a desperate dangerous thing. But Jarlaxle had been around the chaos of Menzabaranzen long enough to realize that many other powerful figures, Matron ben Ray included, held similar seemingly outrageous fantasies. Nearly every important figure in Menzo including members of the ruling council, had come to power through acts that seemed desperate, had squirmed their way through the barbed nets of chaos to find their glory. Might Verna be the next to cross that dangerous terrain?